0: Hello and welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. Today we are talking about advanced maternal age which is one of my least favorite phrases but talking about this topic gives us an opportunity to have a discussion about some things that are just facts about our bodies and our eggs as we get older and the sooner we understand these facts and we learn about our body the easier it is for us to make decisions that will impact the rest of our life when it comes to our family and our fertility and our future children. Before we dive into advanced maternal age, I do want to talk about this week's fertility in the news. So this week I'm talking about a Cosmopolitan article called Inside the Fertility Black Market, where men offer up free sperm for a high price. This article was published January 12th, 2023, and it's talking about known free sperm donors on the black market in the UK. Now this article is from the UK, but I 100% will tell you that this is also happening here in the U.S. without a doubt. So I'm going to go into a few things. Here's the catch line for the article. The cost of private fertility clinics are soaring, creating an unregulated online market where predators swoop in and take advantage of women's desires to start a family. Can anything be done to stop them? What we see are essentially Facebook communities where people are looking for a sperm donor. Why might people want a sperm donor? Maybe you're single and you want donor sperm. Maybe you're in a same-sex relationship, so you need donor sperm. Or maybe you're with a partner who doesn't have any sperm for a variety of reasons. But there are people who need donor sperm to conceive. Now, there's a few discrepancies and really unfair discriminatory policies here in the U.S. and in the U.K. as well. Number one, let's pretend you live here in the U.S. and you are in a lesbian relationship. So, you work for this awesome tech company and you have some fertility benefits. However, to qualify in for your fertility benefit, you have to be diagnosed with infertility, meaning if you're under age 35, you have to try to get pregnant for 12 months before any of your fertility benefits will kick in. And what does that mean for you? Because you're not in a heterosexual relationship and can just have free intercourse at home, you have to Literally have 12 proven attempts. You have to purchase over 12 vials of donor sperm and pay for 12 cycles of IUI before your insurance benefit will ever kick in. And do you know what? That is going to cost you at its cheapest, probably 20 plus thousand dollars. You could have paid for IVF in the cheapest scenario of purchasing 12 vials of donor sperm and going through 12 IUI cycles. I think that is absolutely outrageous that your fertility insurance would be asking you to spend 20 plus thousand before they would ever cover it and it doesn't matter how much we appeal it or we try to explain the situation it is just a discriminatory practice by some insurance companies and the same thing exists in the uk as well but what this article is talking about is some of these famous sperm donors clive jones is a 66 year old retired teacher who claims to be the world's most prolific sperm donor fathering over 129 children in nine years, travels across the country in his van to give out donations. Joe Toner is the alias of a man who says he's already fathered 160 children and his goal is to impregnate as many as he can. 2,500 is his goal. And then there's Janadij Ravich, who has even been convicted in 2014 of sexual assault, but he's fathered 58 children as a sperm donor and he's exploited women for his own sexual gratification. And if you're new to this world, these online groups are like personal ad spaces. People will share pictures and captions and people are using different acronyms to stand for, hey, I want sperm for AI or artificial insemination, meaning give me a sperm sample and I'll put it up inside my vagina, or natural insemination, AKA looking for somebody to have unprotected sex with in order to try to get pregnant. And then there's donors who are asking. You can have the stuff, but you've got to come get it yourself. Essentially, they want hand jobs or blow jobs where you collect the sperm and then you can use it. I mean, these sperm donors are just exploiting people and really creating sexual crimes but they're doing it on the premise of people who are desperate to have families and sperm is so expensive from conventional sperm banks. And all of that aside, let's just think about a few of the reasons why here in the U.S. the FDA has really specific rules for sperm donation and gamete donation, which is what this is. Anybody can tell you anything, People are forging documentation that they've had an STI check. People are forging genetic histories. People are not getting legal contracts that hold up in court or they are changing their mind and suddenly coming for paternity. And because you willingly engaged in an act to conceive, knowing it is with this person, especially here in the States and especially in red states like Texas, if that sperm donor decided to challenge for paternity rights, he were a thousand percent get it because you did not go down the normal avenue to protect yourself and this is scary so when we think about things from the FDA standpoint and the sperm you can buy from a sperm bank you that sperm is screened the person gets a physical exam they're undergoing a psychological evaluation they give a sperm sample and then has to stay in quarantine for six months before they come back have infectious disease testing prove that they didn't have anything brewing in the time period from when that sperm was collected and then it can be released and you utilized for use. I understand sperm is expensive and it is a limited resource. I understand that's even harder if you're of a certain ethnic group or a minority because it's just even harder to find sperm in those situations and that is tough. I understand IUIs in the fertility clinic are expensive. There are options now where sperm banks are selling stuff direct to consumer so at least you could get sperm where a donor has completely waived his rights. He can't challenge for paternity. Now, It is true. Nothing's really anonymous. So you have to know that. Meaning with all the genetic testing that exists out there, people can find each other. But legally, at least you are protected that that is your child because you went down the appropriate pathway. That person donated sperm. It's very clearly consented out. They are not going to have paternal rights for the child. That is not the same when you Make an agreement with a person in a Facebook group who could be hiding so many things from you, let alone, and anybody who's in the third party or the donor world will tell you that there's issues with having so many siblings, and so these people who are donating with the goals to have thousands of children. I mean, that is so unethical. I could do the whole episode on this, but I just thought this was fascinating. And I've seen this firsthand. I have patients who come to me after having some experience on the fertility black market. And I've seen people get diseases from home inseminations, from sperm in this fashion, and I am not making that up. And we'll test them and they will say, how do I have this STI? I'm in a same-sex relationship, or I'm single, but it is because of the sperm that they purchased off the Facebook group and inseminated themselves with that they got an infection from it. So 100% these things are happening, and I do think that on the back end, we need to make it more accessible for people to utilize donor sperm, but this is not the way. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming, and I always love a good home reset non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning with so many collections to explore there is a caraway for every cook their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home it comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic but most importantly you're ditching the chemicals caraway's non-toxic kitchenware Comes a chemical-free ceramic coating, so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit CarawayHome.com/AAW to take advantage of this limited-time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's essential for women 18 and plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study i love ritual and i love taking their essential for women 18 plus every single day one reason i love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable it's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients and they have industry-leading sustainability standards no more shady business Rituals Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com A-A-W for 25% off. All right, so let's change topics and dive back into what we're here for, which is talking about advanced maternal age. Definition. I did not create the term, don't come to hate me, but advanced maternal age is somebody who is over the age of 35 when they are having the baby. So that doesn't feel that old to me. However, it is what it is. So that's what the definition is. Officially, there is an extra layer of screening. Now, admittedly, a lot of the screening is slightly an old-fashioned recommendation when we didn't have easier access to genetic testing of embryos with IVF or early genetic screening. I mean, now we can do blood tests, the non-invasive prenatal testing. When you're pregnant, you know, 10 to 12 weeks, we can draw your blood and you can find out, one, the sex of the fetus, but you can also find out if you're at high risk for certain genetic aneuploidy syndromes. And that's changed, right? Like 28 years ago, that wasn't an option. And so you had to rely on ultrasound findings or do an amniocentesis, which is the act of putting a needle into the amniotic sac, taking fluid out, and then analyzing the chromosomes of the baby that way. And that was something that was offered to everybody who was over age 35 because we know the risk of aneuploidy increases with age. But I like to think about where we are right now. So the issues that I have when we are getting older and it comes to our fertility is number one, we we know we have a decrease in the number of eggs as we get older and the vast majority of people are not low. They are not out of eggs by age 35, not at all. We also have a decrease in the quality of eggs as we get older and we do start to see a shift around this age that does get substantially worse at 38 and older but this is the start of having an increase in the risk of miscarriage and an increase in the chance of having genetically abnormal eggs here's the way i think about both of these topics if you are brand new here and you haven't heard me describe this before welcome to the podcast. But I like to think about the ovary as imagining that there is a vault inside the ovary. And imagine that that is where all your eggs are kept. So when you're born, your vault is full. And throughout your life, eggs come out of the vault. And when the vault is empty, you're in menopause. So the vault represents your reproductive lifespan. I think we can grasp that idea. But what is happening is that every month, you're actually having a group of eggs released from the vault. And each egg grows inside a small, fluid-filled structure called a follicle. From these follicles, one of them is selected to grow. It's stimulated by FSH from the brain. So a well-named hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, stimulates a follicle to grow. But as that follicle is growing, it is stimulating the egg to also be maturing and making estrogen. That's the egg that ovulates and then forms the corpus luteum, and all the other eggs die and then the process starts over again if you are not pregnant. What is interesting here is the fact that the vault does not release the same number of eggs every single month your whole life. I mean, this is very fascinating. The number of eggs that's released from the vault on a given month changes based on how many are inside. So when you have more eggs on the inside of the vault, each month you're gonna have more eggs coming out of the vault. And when you have fewer eggs remaining in the vault, you're then gonna have fewer eggs coming out every month. So I like to think about the vault as this self-regulating thing. An average 30 year old's gonna have about 20 eggs coming out of the vault and an average 40 year old's gonna have 10. So these people are gonna have different numbers that are outside the vault. Now, everybody's born with their own number and everybody runs out of eggs at their own pace. right? Like that just makes sense. So I don't really know with a one-time look, Where you are, but it is helpful because sometimes there are not warnings that somebody is running out of eggs. The way that we check the number of eggs is to evaluate the eggs that are outside the vault. So, this is called ovarian reserve testing. So, what we do is one, we can do an antral follicle count, and that's counting the eggs outside the vault, just getting a number. And the second is a blood test called AMH, which is anti Mullerian hormone. Now, AMH is made from the cells that surround all of the follicles outside the vault. So, more follicles in, more come out, higher AMH, fewer follicles, less come out, lower AMH. There is some month-to-month variability. AMH can vary as well. And so these are not perfect tests, but they're the best that we have. The reason why they're important and why we're talking about this is that if you are waiting to start your family at a later reproductive age, then one, you're going to be advanced maternal age at some point, and that's fine. But two, you might make different decisions based on your family goals and your ovarian reserve. So, if you find out you have a lower account and you want four kids, you might intervene sooner. Not just that you'll run out of eggs, but that the intersection of what percentage will be genetically abnormal and how many you will have might make it so that you are unable to have a child. And I don't want that for you. So, I always think. You can't make decisions on data you don't know. If you've been here, I say that all the time. But I think ovarian reserve testing is really beneficial. It helps you evaluate your choices. It helps you make the best plan that you can for the circumstance that you are in. And I think that is very valuable. So I'm a fan of it. But really, that does not cause infertility because your body does not care If you have five eggs or you have 25, you ovulate one egg per month. So you have the exact same chance of getting pregnant as your age-matched peers. However, if you have fewer eggs, you just have less time to complete your family. And that's the real key. And also, you're going to have a lower chance of success with IVF because IVF is based on how many eggs do you have and at what age you are. IVF studies give us a lot of insight into genetically testing embryos and what we see at a certain age, and that is very helpful. Prior to being able to do that, we knew that egg quality decreased because number one, we saw a decrease in fertility rates as we got older, and number two, we saw an increase in miscarriages as we got older, and both of these things started to significantly happen more after age 35. So if we look at one of my favorite studies, which is based out of the time to conceive cohort, we see that as compared to younger women, people who are older have a lower chance of getting pregnant. So I like to think about it in this term fecundability, which is the chance of pregnancy per month. It's kind of the most finite point you can look at because outcomes in fertility studies really can vary. Is it pregnancy? Is it clinical pregnancy? Is it live birth? What is the outcome? But what we see is that if you've never had children before and you're between age 30 to 33, you have a 17 to 19% chance per month of getting pregnant. So that is not so bad. However, now if you're between age 34 to 37, you have an 11 to 12% chance of getting pregnant. So still not bad, but we've dropped. If you're 38 to 39, it's a 5% chance per month. And if you're 40 and older, it's a 3% chance per month. Those numbers are if you've never had children and you're just starting out because there might be no sperm or there might be tubal blockage or there might be unexplained infertility. There might be fertilization issues. We don't know. If you're Paris, meaning you've had a child, what that means is you still see the same drop. It's just not quite as profound. You have rates of 23% in the 30 to 33 group. You're still pretty preserved around 16, 17, 22% in the middle group, and then it drops to 10% at age 40. It still will drop to the same, 3 to 5% over age 43. But besides these exact numbers, the take home message is especially in that 35 age group, that category we start to see a decrease in your chance of getting pregnant. That is important if you're waiting to start your family and especially if you want more than one child. I'm not really as worried about the 35, 36 year old who wants one child, but the 35, 36 year old who wants three, I am, right? Because if you get pregnant right away, and even if you have your children very close, I'm looking at baby three happening when you're 40. And it is just harder, even if you've had a baby before, you're still looking at it one out of 10 times chance of it working. So it is just harder to get pregnant as you get older. IVF is the great equalizer here, and it's a really great option for fertility preservation if you're at this junction. But when we do IVF, really it's just, there's no magic in IVF. So to be age 40 and to do IVF and to not test your embryos, I don't really think it's getting you very far down the field. There's always exceptions and circumstances. But to me, when you're 35 and older, The beauty of IVF is I can now figure out which of these embryos have the highest chance of potential. I can get another group if this isn't enough to grow your family. So in principle, IVF whether it's utilized to get pregnant now or to freeze your eggs or to just freeze embryos, is getting one month's group of eggs to all grow forward. When you're getting that month's group of eggs to grow forward, what we are doing is giving you FSH at much higher doses. But I can only get the eggs that are outside the vault. So if you don't have very many, I can't get very many to grow. I'm limited by what your body is getting me. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials, and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands, and they do this by partnering directly with Top Factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash AAW for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's QUINCE.com slash AAW to get free shipping and 365 day returns slash aaw And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com A-A-W. rocketmoney.com A-A-W. But I can get them all to grow, take them out of the body, fertilize them, get embryos to grow, and then I can do a biopsy at the implantation stage and test the chromosomes of the embryos. That's the real beauty. Now, every egg doesn't fertilize, doesn't make it to an embryo, is not genetically normal, and even genetically normal embryos do not all implant. So this is hard. There was a study that looked at a lot of IVF cycles that did genetic testing and was trying to identify the proportion of abnormal embryos per age group. And I think this is really insightful data. In the group that was under age 35... 46% of the embryos were genetically abnormal. In the group that was 35 to 37, 54% of the embryos were genetically abnormal. In the group that was 38 to 40, 63% of the embryos were genetically abnormal. And in the over group, about 70% of the embryos were genetically abnormal. So you saw just what we would anticipate, more abnormal embryos as you got older. But this is where it's really important to take it. They did another analysis to look at what was the probability of having at least one normal embryo per cycle you did. Now, granted, they're averaging this together, but this is helpful if you're falling average for your age. If you're under age 35, you had an 86% chance of having at least one normal embryo. If you were 35 to 37, you had an 81% chance of having at least one normal embryo. If you were 38 to 40, you had a 70% chance of having at least one embryo. And if you're over age 40, you had a 56% chance of having at least one normal embryo. That's not zero, but it does mean that a lot of people at age 40 will do a cycle and not get a normal embryo. And that's okay. That means we might need to go get another group of eggs and make more embryos and try it again. That can happen in any of these categories, and these are averages, so if you are having less eggs, it is going to be less likely that you're going to find as many embryos as you want. Now, how many embryos do you need? That's a really interesting question. The average rate, what we just quote kind of as national average chance of an embryo implanting and turning into a live-born baby, is 65% per genetically normal embryo. So if you're doing IVF and you're not doing genetic testing of your embryos, you are going to see a dramatic drop in your chance of success as you get older. So the youngest category with IVF under age 35 has about a 40% chance of success. And then as you get to the older categories, you're going to have a five to 10% chance. And that's still with IVF. But if you do IVF and we transfer a genetically normal embryo, Now you're looking at average a 65% chance of success. So it is the equalizer, but finding the normal embryos is harder as you are older and as you have fewer eggs. Another study that I think is really helpful in this picture was looking at transferring genetically normal embryos and trying to do the math to figure out what is the cumulative chance of being pregnant. And this was really important, I thought, because they didn't change any protocol. They didn't do anything magic to the uterus. They actually did the same transfer protocol in all these cycles. And the rate of success after the first embryo transfer, 70% of people. The rate of success after two transfers, so kind of of the group, the people who got pregnant in either the first transfer or the second, now we had 88% of people pregnant. And after three transfers, We had 95% of the people who started the study pregnant. So that's a lot. Yay, like that's the vast majority. That means 95% of people will get to a baby after three transfers. I mean, most of them will after two, right? 88% is a high number also. But if we're trying to save embryos for the future, you're going to need at least two embryos for every child that you want to have we want to get you at least in that 88% group preferably three because sometimes transfers do not work and we know that that's not often because of something wrong with your uterus or because you have implantation failure it's just there's some other level of embryo competency that we do not know and it's not just genetics All right, but what are you going to do about all this information? For one, if you know you're purposefully waiting to start a family and you don't see that on the horizon until you are AMA, I would strongly consider freezing your eggs at a younger age. That is going to keep more options open for you because freezing your eggs is getting you through the first part of the process and the more eggs you have and the younger you are the more likely you are to have genetically normal ones. Other options can be just to get a fertility evaluation sooner, to consider freezing embryos if you're partnered, even if you're trying to get pregnant. And that can be really helpful, even if you're not diagnosed with infertility, if you know you want to pick family. So if you're 36, 37, and this is just when you found your life partner, but you've always dreamed of having four kids. That is unlikely to happen without intervention. I didn't say impossible, but it is unlikely to happen without intervention. And so we could freeze embryos at that 36, 37, and that could allow you to still get pregnant at 40, 42, 44, and maybe have that family that you're really dreaming of. It's a choice that choice is off the table later on because it's going to be so hard to find those normal embryos. I also think there is just a knowledge about your body. So, if your periods are irregular, I think you need to go see an OBGYN. You can always go and get your fertility tested, which is ovarian reserve testing. If you are trying to get pregnant, you can always do a fertility evaluation. Just call the clinic and we can check your tubes and a semen analysis and your ovarian reserve. If you're under age 35, the hard line in the sand is if you're not pregnant after a year, we should do that. If you're 35 to 40, it's if you're not pregnant after six months. And if you're 40, we should do it right away. But nobody says you cannot do it sooner. So do not feel like you have to wait. And then I do think it is important to optimize all the other factors. Don't smoke cigarettes. Don't smoke marijuana. Don't drink more than four alcoholic drinks per week. Those things all negatively impact egg quality. Eat a lot of fruits and veggies. Avoid processed foods and sugars and additives. Stay away from toxins. Get sleep. That's when your cells can heal. Pay attention to the world around you and to your body. That's what you can do. You can't control your age, but you can control how you treat your body. And I think every ob or MFM would be very mad at me if I didn't also tell you that there are some increased risks as you get older being pregnant, especially preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, premature birth, low birth weight, twins, miscarriage, increased risk of genetic disorders like Down syndrome or trisomies, increased risk of a c-section, and increased risk of a stillbirth. Those are not reasons to not get pregnant. However, I do think it is important to know about those. I mean, your doctor will screen you. They will do everything right. But really what I think you can do is manage your health. So just as I said, those things that are important for your fertility, those are going to be helpful for your whole body. Make sure all your preventive care is up to date. Manage any medical conditions. If you have high blood sugar, get on medication, change your diet, lose weight, take prenatal vitamins, exercise, don't smoke, marijuana or tobacco, don't drink alcohol, eat healthy, be a healthy weight, exercise, sleep, all of those things as well. And we do see higher miscarriage rates as we get older. And I think that makes sense with the data that we have reviewed here. If you're between age 35 and 40, your chance of miscarriage is about 25 to 30%. It's about 20% if you're age 30, and if you're age 40 and older, it's 40 to 50%, and so those numbers are hard. It took you longer to get pregnant, and then you have a higher chance of losing the pregnancy, and that's a big reason why we do intervene at an older age as well, because losing pregnancies, I've been there, I've had all those miscarriages. it is heartbreaking, and it is not fun. All right, well, now I'm going to answer a few of your fertility questions. Every week on Instagram, I try to put up a question box on Mondays at Natalie Crawford MD, and you can put your questions there. Some of them will be answered here, and some of them will be answered on the weekly newsletter, which we're also including fertility Q&A and facts. So you can also go to NatalieCrawfordMD.com and sign up for the newsletter. But these questions we are reviewing with you so that we can help be on the same page because I know fertility is so hard. I also want to say in this episode, we are celebrating five years of the as a woman podcast, and I am so thankful for all of you. All right, let's dive into a few quick questions. Are you supposed to get blood work done before trying to conceive? And if so, for what? Yeah, there is some preconception testing that we usually recommend. Making sure your pap smear is up to date, checking to see if you're immune to rubella and paracella, checking for any infectious diseases, checking to see if you're anemic and checking your blood type. I like to check for thyroid disease and to see if you have any deficiency in vitamin D, which is super common. And then what we call preconception genetic carrier screening. Everything genetic that I have talked about thus far in the episode is talking about aneuploidy, which refers to chromosome number. The reason why our chromosome number starts to change as we get older is just those chromosomes are inside our eggs and they are held in this perfect position until we ovulate. And the longer they sit there, the more the chromosomes start to move positions. The proteins that hold them in place break them down and that predisposes us to aneuploidy. However, preconception genetic carrier screening is looking at something a little bit different. It's looking to see if you and your partner both carry the same gene for a genetic disease. Now, you a silent carrier, because these are autosomal recessive diseases, examples are things like cystic fibrosis or spinal muscular atrophy. But if you and your partner both carry the same one, you could have a higher risk of having a baby with that disease, and some of them are devastating. And so you can use embryo genetic testing, similarly to what we do for aneuploidy, but you can also add in screening for a particular disease. I'm very biased because I see people come to me after losing babies who do inherit these genetic diseases that they had no idea they had. And so if I could save you that heartbreak and we could know earlier and we could do something different, I would do it. So to me, that testing is a no brainer. Is there any advice for decreasing the stress or pressure of trying to conceive every month? You know, I get it. It is hard. I like to reframe and live in the mindset of knowing that you're doing everything possible. And sometimes I find that the stress, pressure, or anxiety actually comes from the unknown. So if part of their pressure comes from, if I'm not pregnant by X time, then I have to see the fertility doctor or this or that, or you're going doomsday, like maybe we'll never have a kid, just stop it call the clinic and go get testing. And I can't tell you how often I'll see patients and we'll do a workup and things are fine and they feel better and it takes some of the pressure off. And we make a game plan of how they're going to try and how they're going to decrease the stress and how long they're going to before we are going to intervene. Very often just having that plan helps them out immensely. From a logical basis, I think just figure out you. Some people do well with OPKs because then it's, this is the day I need to have sex. Others, that pressure is not good. And so it's better for them just to track their cycles and know their fertile week and just try to target intercourse as much or as little as they can, but try to have some in that week. And then one single encounter is not quite as stressful as it might otherwise be. Okay. Is Clomid Lutresol for inducing regular periods or to improve egg quality or both? Coleman and letrozole do not improve egg quality at all. They have nothing to do with egg quality. They are simply telling the brain to send out a stronger signal of FSH and hopefully helping you ovulate. So it's not necessarily to make your period come, although if you ovulate and you don't get pregnant, your period will come. But people who don't have regular periods and have irregularity, we can use Clomid or Latrazole to try to help them ovulate and then time intercourse with that to get pregnant. But it doesn't change your egg quality. Your egg quality is exactly what it is based on your age for the most part. I'm trying to conceive naturally before my next egg retrieval. I have one embryo and I want one to two more kids. Well, I talked a lot about embryos and success rates. Certainly, I think a large part of this would depend on the etiology of your infertility and how things are now because some things do change with time. Overall, i do not love this plan because even that one other embryo may not result in a pregnancy. It doesn't mean you can't get pregnant naturally and maybe you give yourself a set amount of time where you try, but I think you have to start preparing yourself that if you needed IVF to get pregnant now, that you're likely, I don't have a crystal ball so I can't say for sure, but you're likely to need it again. And the longer you wait, the less eggs you have and the more that are genetically abnormal and we'd much rather you do what you need to do to get there faster. All right, and I'm going to end with: Can someone ever get their period back if they have hypohypo? Hypohypo is hypothalamic hypogonadism, or a type of amenorrhea where the hypothalamus is no longer sending out GnRH, which is actually what stimulates the pituitary gland to send out FSH, and FSH, as we said early, is what grows a follicle. So if there's no FSH, there's no follicle growing, and there's no estrogen. So you're in a low estrogen state because of this. Part of this really does depend on the reason for hypohypo. The short answer is yes, you can get periods back. The long answer is it typically takes a long time, and I want you to be prepared for that. For the most part, I Hypohypo is caused by functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, and this is the body essentially interpreting that there's too much stress to get pregnant. Maybe the stress is from over-exercising or you're a competitive athlete. Maybe the stress is from chronic stress or chronic illness. Maybe the stress is from an acute intense stressor. Maybe the stress is from under-eating or an eating disorder. I have patients who previously had anorexia and it can take them Years after recovery to get their periods back. So The goal there is, I like to think of it as you really have to take a multifaceted approach and convince your brain that the stressor is gone. That is often going to require sleep, mild exercise, and eating many more calories than you previously had been used to, and eating very nutritious foods. It doesn't mean you have to always gain weight. It does depend on what the cause of the FHA is, but for a lot of people, gaining some weight is a critical component in getting over the hump with FHA. Certainly would make sure you know that there's no other cause of it. You can also see hypo from brain tumors like a prolactinoma. So you really wanna make sure it's not just presumed to be one of those causes. But if it is, I think you really need a comprehensive plan on what to do to try to get this back. But you definitely can get your periods back and then we can also induce them with FSH medications. So if you're ready for a family, you can always get a jumpstart on it by coming to us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of the As A Woman community. And thank you for being here with me as we celebrate our five-year anniversary. Again, you can ask your questions on Mondays on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. And thank you guys so much. Thank you all for listening to As A Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.